0: This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Here we go, hour three on a great day for Talk Radio, albeit a cold one. Everybody's been complaining about the brisk weather outdoors, which is why I don't go there very often. So here we are in the warmth of the studio, hour three of The Oakley Show, and a great day for Talk Radio. And especially on these Wednesdays when we're joined by our roundtable group, Ernie Eves, the former Premier of the province as well as Finance Minister. How's Ernie?
1: I'm great. How are you, John?
0: Likewise. Thank you. John turley risk management consultant specializing in capital markets with extensive experience on Bay and Wall Streets. Hello, John.
2: Hi. How are you tonight?
0: Very good. And uh, Catherine Swift is a former President and CEO of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, current spokesperson for Working Canadians. Hello, Catherine. Hi, John. I got to start with this because I'm curious now, Ernie, you were around in 1998 in the provincial legislature when amalgamation came down and uh, amidst, you know, uh, I guess, different points of view concerning whether or not it was the right uh, thing to do. Now you've got Doug Ford, who is talking about uh, changes to the growth plan and uh, plans for regional development in a nutshell, just a, you know, 30,000 foot view uh what do you say to that? Is this the right direction he's planning to go? 82 municipalities are going to examine across a province?
1: Well, I first of all, amalgamation is a funny term. I can remember when Bill Davis started regional government. I'm that old. Mm. So <laughs> that was in the 70s. And he started with a few regional municipalities, of which Muskoka was one. I think Frank Miller volunteered his constituency. Nice, Frank. Uh, to do that. And you can still talk today, you can talk to people in Muskoka and they're on 50% on one side and 50% on the other. Um, there's a huge regional government in Muskoka. I think it employs about 600 people. And uh, there are still people today that believe that this is a huge waste of money. It's just another level of bureaucracy another level of government imposed upon them. The people in my riding... Uh, in Perry Sound, I had 28 organized municipalities and 35 unorganized municipalities chose not to, even though personally I think that some of those municipalities, especially around the town of Perry Sound, could have amalgamated and distributed services. Much more rationalization of services would have been much more cost effective than they ended up doing. But it was their local choice, and I think that Doug, you know, to his credit, campaigned on the fact that he would look at regional government again, and he would look at how services were delivered to people, and he would let people make more decisions closer to home. Now, what that ends up being at the end of the day is another matter of uh, debate.
0: All right, well, in this surface last hour, having that discussion, and the ex-counselor Joe Mahavik was saying he hates the fact it's fiscally driven rather than, you know, providing good services in an efficient way. Uh, Catherine, I'll turn to you. I mean, does this make sense that, you know, if they're going to uh, rationalize, and well, I'll add in what Peter Tabin's offered, he says this is just a ruse because uh, Ford wants to download a lot of things to manage the budget and, uh, you know, take care of the deficit and all, so he'll download under the idea that, well, we're amalgamating all these different municipalities and now we can dump stuff on you. How do you see it?
3: Well, Well, first of all, to say it's fiscally driven, that is what determines the, val- the value and quality of services so the notion that they're two separate streams is just not true <laughs> obviously it has to be fiscally sustainable to have decent you know decent government services and but again, sort of following on to what Ernie said, boy this it can take so many turns that the whole concept of it is commendable, and I mean, I like, for example, when they when they talked about some of their social policy reforms, which still has a lot to be hammered out in terms of detail, but a lot of that was giving more responsibility to the local level, which I thought made perfect sense for social services. you know these are the people that are on the ground they're they're you know face face to face with a lot of these these individuals so but the the so again, yes, the concept is great, and boy, anybody that's had anything to do with government—and I've had lots in my day—knows um, there is money to be uh, <laughs> <laughs> money to be saved big time. To pretend that everything's ultra efficient is just such a load of you know hooey. Um, again, though, how to get it done effectively? The, for example, just to give you one strange little aspect of the Toronto amalgamation back in the day. Um, the the unions very cleverly Uh, a lot of the outlying areas like the Etobicoes and the Scarboroughs and whatnot um, didn't have the same uh, strangulating policies of union-only procurement and and all this, you know, fair wage, so-called fair wage policies and so on. But the unions very cleverly uh, outfoxed the politicians involved and they ended up getting the higher standards and more costly to taxpayer standards applied to all of the other, you know, all of the Mm -hmm, boroughs mm -hmm. and whatnot that previously didn't have them. So there are so many moving parts when you have this kind of thing happen it, again in principle it's good but boy how it's done is is really what matters and you got to be so vigilant not to get uh fooled whether it's by different constituencies that are naturally looking out for their own interests the public sector unions who are going to look at oh how can we profit from right. this but the devil's in
0: the details is i guess absolutely what you're saying. so absolutely uh, all right uh, john let me get your thoughts on that because i mean the idea as well that there uh would accrue to the locals uh more, uh, you know, hands-on governance rather than, you know, being, I guess, uh, having a, a an upper-tier level uh, dictate to them. Uh, does that make sense to you, that that would be a better form of government?
2: Well, I, you know, I, I looked at the reaction uh, that the mayors and, and and people in municipal politics across the province had in response to this, and generally it was positive, uh, which I would say was not the response when uh, the, the previous uh, government that Mr. Eves was part of uh, did their uh, merger or Uh, Right. Uh, So I'm thinking that in this case, uh, maybe Doug Ford or the people in his government learned from that experience and have uh, uh, tried a different approach. So we'll see if that uh, continues forward where uh, rather than imposing it on people, you're letting people decide for themselves whether or not it makes sense. And so I think in, in that respect, politically, it's a smart thing to do. Uh, But once you start imposing things all across the province on, you know, areas where uh, you have a lot of conservative uh, support out in in rural parts of Canada, if they don't want it, you know, they don't want it. And that's the way it should be.
0: Yeah. And to your point, I remember in 98, I guess, uh, because I had just started to reside in East York. I think there was uh, amongst all of the boroughs, the six boroughs, East York voted 93 percent against amalgamation and were dragged kicking and screaming into the equation. So, and because they thought that the services were better provided uh, as a borough unto itself. So where that, Ernie?
1: Well, I can remember the mayor of the day, Mr. Lassman, uh, who I like and still get along with fine, saying that please don't do this amalgamation thing. We promise by rationalizing services we'll save $400 million a year for you. And, of course, even with amalgamation, they didn't save 10 cents. So, I mean... Yes, you, there's a lot of platitudes floating around, but I, you know I agree with the comment John made. I think that lo, if local people are given a say in what their destiny is, you're far you're going to have a far better result because they've bought into it. It's never going to be a hundred percent, you know. <laughs>
0: Yeah, but, you know, the idea, and this was Tabbins, he raised the specter that this is all just a roost to download things onto these municipalities.
1: Well, I I, I would disagree with that. I mean, how does he know that? The
2: end well, he the listens day- to Coast to Coast every night. I mean, he's part of the conspiracy <laughs> well, theorists, right?
3: That's his bias. I mean, his Ford's bias
2: actually talking tanking.
1: about uploading. Transportation into the subway system to the to the provincial government. So
0: yeah, but you guys were accused in '98, were you not, of uh, having done the swap out, which we
1: did not. Yes, we did an we did an exchange of services. We also gave the municipalities all the room under the former education tax. They actually came out overall a few million bucks to the better, not to the worse. Yeah, I heard. But there were winners and losers in that. You now, to be fair there were winners and losers in that some would argue that the city of downtown toronto was a loser but there were lots of other parts of the province that were winners and overall they actually made money, they didn't lose money.
3: Exactly, and when I keep, you know, you keep hearing to this day, in Tabins, I, I heard part of the interview coming here, and you know, talking about the downloading. Nobody talks about the uploading, and there was, as Ernie says, there was lots of uploading as well, and yeah, it, it came out a little bit different, depending on which, you know, which municipality you were talking about, but um, the notion that this was a major dumping of costs onto municipalities is just is just not true. What not
0: about true. the autonomy of the municipalities to determine how they want development to go? That's the other thing, you know, in cases, and it's been brought up, uh, and I guess it was Mahavik and uh, Tabbins both reiterating that the Green Belt is sacred and it's untouchable. Now, if they do swap out some land, uh, and for development purposes, if a place like, I, I, I cited Stouffville or Schaumburg, and they want to develop around the Green Belt, shouldn't that be their prerogative?
2: Well not not according to those folks you just quoted who you know live in the, in the in the annex and sit out in their leafy backyards <laughs> drinking their lattes and reading you know Kafka uh, and thinking <laughs> that that people in Schaumburg shouldn't have a chance to expand their community, unless, of course, they want to build a 50-story tower. They might I mean, drink lattes in Schaumburg, you don't know. Well, probably, <laughs> maybe they do. Maybe they have little chocolate sprinkles on them, I don't know. But what, what I do know is that they want to see their communities grow, and, you know, it's the thing is, is there's this cultural divide that people don't seem to realize. There's The ground isn't sacred. Canada has massive amounts of land, and I was listening to those folks earlier talking about, you know, the greatest green belt... And And all these farmers there are trees everywhere you would think that there's massive farms all around the city of toronto no the green belt is full of forests and some of that land is not actually arable so you know you can certainly make a case for you know small communities if they want to uh, expand their community make it more inviting to do so and remember we have a housing shortage here in toronto People are, are what, moving up to Midland, Barrie, Hamilton now to try and find a place that they can afford to live? I mean, let's get serious. Well, can he sell it
0: politically, though? I mean, if he were to say, uh, because I know during the campaign, he had talked to developers, and he was pilloried and had to retreat off that position that they were going to open up swaths of the greenbelt. So, is this a third rail, politically speaking, Catherine?
3: I don't think it has to be a third rail, but there's no question it's it's ultra sensitive. And, and because of the dishonesty that's been put forward about it being sacred, and 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 you know, it's all wonderful farmland, best in the world, and all that you know stuff that isn't true. Um, I think though the notion of you also need an overarching plan. I don't think you can just say to municipalities, "Let her rip," you know, you <laughs> develop what you want, but in consultation with them um some, and i mean the liberals before them they had a number of incursions into the green belt where exactly. they reallocated to be uh, yeah, yeah they yeah. reallocated uh land so i mean the notion that again the, the sensible thing is somewhere in the middle of course you're not going to eliminate the green belt completely but uh, it, but it's also not sacrosanct and yes you, you 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 know you certainly could make some in consultation with local governments make some uh uh sensible changes to permit more expansion more you know, more wealth in those communities and preferably sprinkles. More sprinkles, I think, is uh, part of the The 17 equation. land
0: swaps with the Liberals, in some instances, didn't they swap out to the the actual uh, advantage of, I guess, the developers in some cases, Ernie?
1: Oh, that would never happen. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, you, you didn't want to cite specifics, did <laughs> They you?
1: were probably at some specific fundraisers, but uh, <laughs> I shall go nameless. All right. Um, you know, the reality is I think Catherine sort of hit it correctly, I mean I happen to believe there should be some green areas in the province and there should be some protection of the environment and and those areas in the province but there are some municipalities where it would do no harm to allow some expansion around the municipality I have it happening in my backyard in, in Caledon East um, I don't see anything wrong with that and if you're if developers are prepared to swap lands and uh, make the thing sort of neutral Chris Hodgson, who was a minister in the Harris government, came up with smart growth, which was then deemed to be a different plan under McGuinty, and it was expanded into the green Bill. I think there has to be an overall vision across the province. I don't think you can just let every municipality... Do whatever you want, because if you do, you're going to end up with what you have right down here in the waterfront. All these condos that were built without any sort of planning because developers were putting money in the pockets and in the tax jar of the city of Toronto. So let it rip. Let them build them 152 stories high. We don't really care. And And this is what you end up with. You compare our waterfront to the city of Chicago when you're driving in from the airport. There is no comparison. And why is there a difference? Because the city of Chicago had a plan for 60 years that they stuck to, no matter who was in government, in the municipal government, and they delivered on that plan. Now it helped that the Daly family happened to control probably about 20 or 30 of those 60 years, but the reality is they, they had a plan, they stuck to it. Here it seems to be, well, I just got elected, now I'm going to do what's good for me, to stuff more money in the genes of the city of Toronto, so we can, we'll can we just let it all rip, and this is what, we, we've got mass confusion up
2: there. The well, one other point I wanted to make is, is you know, Toronto attracts immigrants from all over the world, and the, the the last panel, I think it was Mr. Mahavik said, you know, we have to we have to build vertical. If you think people are coming to Canada to live 20 stories up in a 500-square-foot uh, unit, you're, you are completely... Lost, You're out of touch with why people come to this country.
0: To Ernie's point, we need an autocrat as mayor, I guess, uh, for the next <laughs> 60 years. Long-term planning, a longer horizon than every four years. We'll come back. Uh, Doug Ford's had a busy week. He was in Detroit for the Big Auto Show. Interesting discussions that were had there. I want to put some of the uh, fallout from that to our uh, roundtable group. John Turley, you Ernie Eves and Catherine Swift, and we'll do that in a moment here on The Oakley Show. Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.